You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump invites tech companies to discuss violent extremism. This is the president having traveled to Ohio as well as to Texas following the two mass gun shootings from over the weekend. Still dominating the national discourse on both sides of political. We will cover this story from every single angle. Meanwhile, President Trump also weighing in on what's happening on Wall Street. This just 48 hours after he has now labeled China as a currency manipulator. We'll dive into the now what of this story. We have an all-star panel joining us for the hour. Matt Mowers, a former senior White House advisor for the State Department and now president of Matt Mowers LLC, and Dave Brown, a Democratic strategist and former advisor to Senator Patty Murray. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. I was at the White House today. President Trump, as he traveled to Ohio and to Texas and There are new developments in terms of what precisely the administration is trying to accomplish on following the latest two mass shootings uh, in Ohio and and in Texas. And that's really what I want to focus on is is the policy, because uh, there's legislation from a Republican and a Democrat, Senator Lindsey Graham, the Republican, and Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal, the Democrat, uh, about red flag laws, about that being potentially a rallying point amongst the administration to getting something done. But there now, we now know, are a a deal breaker for President Trump, which would be a ban on assault weapons. Uh, I want to start with Matt in terms of is it feasible to get on the calendar when lawmakers return from recess, if you're Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, will this be a part of the September agenda? I think you're going to have a discussion on the Hill about this. Um, I think there's intense interest from both sides of the aisle right now to really address some of the root causes of uh, what is 
commit led to so many of these atrocities. I mean, you look at the fact, though, that a lot of these laws would not have actually prevented a single one of these mass. Uh, what would is reforming the way in which we approach mental health in this country. Uh, another thing that would is uh, I think one of the most important things the president said on Monday, actually, when he laid out five different points um, that he'd like to address to prevent this type of violence in our society, was asking the Department of Justice to start working with social media companies to really get to the root cause yeah. of a lot of these uh, extremist um, chat rooms and other things that lead to a lot of this violent extremism. I want to come back to that point because actually President Trump inviting big tech to the White House, and we'll, we'll cover that coming up. But Dave Brown, so uh, it, with the with the issue of assault weapons bans off the table, I mean, is there pressure on Speaker Pelosi to? No one's going to be happy, right? Republicans are going to say it goes too far. Democrats are going to say it doesn't go far enough. But from the Democratic perspective, is there pressure in the month of September to get some type of of policy through, uh, given these latest two two mass shootings? Well, the House already passed a bill in the first 100 days, and it's sitting in the legislative graveyard right now that is Mitch McConnell's Senate, right? So the pressure is on the Senate and specifically on the majority leader, and it's on him to decide whether or not he wants to put his muscle behind any kind of package that can overcome a 60-vote threshold because that's the, the votes that you need for a filibuster. So, you know, Lindsey Graham... Uh, Blumenthal, others, great that they're talking, but until there's actually a viable legislative strategy to get to 60, Mitch McConnell will signal this is something he takes seriously. No, there's no viable path in the Senate. Well, yesterday we had on a Republican donor who was urging that uh, the Republican Party distance themselves from the National Rifle Association, saying that it would put suburban votes, suburban districts at, at, at risk. And we saw that in, the, in 2018. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in – yeah – in the midterms, midterms yeah. it's, it's 2019. <laughs> Today is Wednesday, and I'm Kevin. Um, uh, but but no, seriously, I mean this is not a laughing matter. Uh, but this, so we, we there is this conversation being had in conservative circles about the Republican Party's relationship with the National Rifle Association. President Trump uh, leaving the White House today earlier. Take a listen to what he said about whether or not he's going to be able to to have to 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 push the party uh, away from the NRA. Here's I'll be convincing some people to do things that they don't want to do, and that means people in Congress. So the issue of universal background checks, and Matt, you know, I, I want to pick up on this point because every poll, it really truthfully is 99% to 100% of Americans support universal background checks, as they say. But I think sometimes in the media we oversimplify this issue because – and we do it in, in many ways, I would argue, a disservice because if everyone agrees on something, well, why doesn't it happen? There's divide amongst how to enforce universal background checks. And the three points that I would focus on are, number one, the length of time for a background check. Democrats advocate for a longer time period for background checks. Republicans argue for a shorter period. Then the second point is on the issue of where the background checks occur. People forget this. Right. People forget this. I mean, the gun shows. Right? I mean, this isn't like you go to, to a convention hall and there's a bunch of guns. There's secondary markets. I'm not using the word black market. I'm using the word secondary market where folks drive their cars in largely rural America. And it, essentially, it looks like a tailgate at a football game. And I'm not trying to be funny here, but that's what it is to kind of set the scene. And people are reselling family rifles or guns that have been in their possession. How do you regulate that? How does someone living in, in rural America get a background check at a gun show? And the third point, which you've already alluded to, is the issue of mental health. 
And that's where this gets fascinating in this, not fascinating, that's where this gets even more intricately difficult to navigate in this country because how do you, how do you navigate if someone has, for example, been prescribed in, their pre, in, in the past an antidepressant? Are they considered mentally ill and whatnot? So that's why this is so hard to get through, right? Right. And so, so I think in this debate, along with many others, you know, there's a lot of terms thrown around right now. One is universal background checks. The fact is, for licensed uh, gun purchases, you already have universal background checks. Um, you are right. You're talking about now, you know, family arms sales, and how do you actually regulate that if you were to pass it? So, you know, I, I think when you start talking about these terms and really break it down to what it means legally and what would it would actually change from a regulatory perspective, I think that's where you start getting to the nuances of of the actual um, um, moving the entire you know issue forward. Um, I'll throw just one other thing back there, though. I mean, the two folks who committed shootings over the weekend uh, would have had access to these guns even with these background check uh, changes. So I think if we're going to discuss how do we prevent violence, because that's really what we're talking about, right? This shouldn't be an issue about gun control. This should be about how do we prevent violence in our society and what can we do, uh, what can policymakers do to actually try to ensure that we have a society which doesn't uh, encourage violence and where something like this and this type of you know, uh, terrorist activity cannot occur. Um, and that's really what lawmakers should be looking at. Uh, I mean, we can look at this as a holistic issue, uh, but really we should be looking at violence prevention. I mean, here's what we get about this debate, and I think it's a really dangerous talking point for the right to use when they talk about mental health, because fundamentally what we're doing is stigmatizing people with mental health. The American Psychological Association says that people with mental, serious mental illness commit only about 3% of violent crimes. And if you look at uh, mental health diagnosis rates across the U.S. compared to other countries, first world countries, obviously our incidents of violence, those rates are, are roughly equivalent across countries, but our incidence of gun violence is dramatically higher. So, you know, when we talk about mental health and that's the default, instead of actually talking about guns, which are causing gun violence in this country, I think it does a disservice. But Kevin, you raised a lot of really important technical questions about background checks. And you're right. I'm trying to set the stage yeah, yeah, of why of answering because the, the question that I get is what, when I you know when I'm back on Medelco is well why aren't they doing anything if everyone agrees on this well they agree sure. so, on and, those three points and, and and look there are a couple there are a couple really important considerations how do you define and you've alluded to these how do you define a, a dealer uh, is is a family member who wants to sell a gun a dealer maybe maybe not depending on the definition uh, states have different laws. All of this, of course, feeding up to a federal database, which is incomplete because of that patchwork of laws. And so really the challenge also becomes then, even when you're talking about legislation to reach sort of red flag folks, unless you have a comprehensive background system in place, these measures are not going to work unless they're all working together. I want to like highlight another divisive issue point that, that Dave and Matt both just alluded to, which is, who has access to the background check system? Is it a federal system or is it a state system? And that's another thing that divides the, the two ideological parties because you got to think about this. When you, when you advocate for a driver's license, for example, it doesn't go into a federal – it goes into – you have a state driver's license. And so that is another, I think, point that we in the media sometimes – oversimplify when we say universal background check it's that divide between whether well is it the state that's running it or is it the federal government that's another uh issue that that has why i would argue what is a very simple question to poll is a lot more difficult 
for for why there has been so much inaction. And th- this is a challenge across a lot of different issues for law enforcement. Um, you allude to you know driver's licenses. So if someone is pulled over for a DWI in one state um, and then goes to apply for a license in another state, that information does not always carry over. You see the same thing on drug right. offenses and a whole host of things. That is a place where I think you might be able to find some level of bipartisan support. All right, coming up, we're going to have much more on this. I want to get back to the. We're going to spend more time on the big tech, uh, specifically that angle. We're also going to talk about trade policy panel stays. Matt Mowers and Dave Brown. I do want to note Michael Bloomberg, the owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News, founded and helped fund every for gun safety, a nonprofit that advocates for universal universal background checks and other gun violence prevention measures. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, Radio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guest with me for the hour, Matt Mowers, former senior advisor to the White House for the State Department, and now he's president of Matt Mowers LLC, and Dave Brown, Democratic strategist and former advisor up on Capitol Hill to uh, Senator Patty Murray. And gentlemen, there were new trade developments today. Uh, in terms of the fallout of where things are going to go with regards to the president's decision to call to call um, uh, to call China a currency manipulator, uh, and this has really dominated the discourse uh, here in in the Beltway, particularly in the in the the circles that I'm that I'm talking with and and what what they have to say about this. I'm not sure that it has any impact, however. On the issue of USMCA passage, Matt Mowers, do you? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. The, um, no, I think you actually have because Democrats for years, in, especially in the uh, Midwest and Rust Belt industrial Midwest, have been talking about the need to renew, you know, to update NAFTA for a number of years. It's actually an area where you have a lot of bipartisan support. Um, and I think the most important thing, politically speaking, is I think Nancy Pelosi wants to get to yes on uh, USMCA uh, sometime this fall. Um, now, I do think they're going to need to create a pressure point. Congress doesn't act without a timeline, whether it's artificial or real. Um, and so I do expect you'll see a few um, – you know, it's going to be contentious before it gets there, but I do think you're going to see USMCA pass sometime this fall. Dave Brown, do you? What are you hearing from, from your friends on, on, in the Capitol about the, these Democrats? I, I think Matt's right. I think that the Speaker definitely wants to get to yes with the caucus, and I think that – she she will get there. I, I suspect that if the president tries to create external pressures, that won't be helpful to the process that she's currently conducting inside the caucus. I think she wants to get to a place of yes um, and have folks really bought into that process. And, you know, so obviously MCA is, is, a, is a key part of this. But as the China situation unfolds, that will have, I think, ripple effect in terms of the broader conversation about trade and the politics of trade, potentially making it more challenging for the speaker as she navigates this. You know, I, I said this to Tom Keene and, and Francine Lacroix on Bloomberg Surveillance earlier today, and I, and I think it's it bears repeating in terms of trying to set the calendar, because everyone's trying to figure out, like, the calendar. Like, what, what do I need to mark down for the month of August and then into September? I'm thinking to myself, I told Christine Barada, our EP, this, I'm like, wake me up when September ends, because it's going to be such a crowded crowded month in terms of the trade policy on the USMCA front 
the administration has really signaled that they view signaling one trade front in a positive light to give them leverage on another trade front where potentially it's not going in the direction that they would like to see. So, case in point, you're hearing the president speak more favorably about the chances of USMCA passing while China is being labeled a currency manipulator, and we literally had the reverse course of action several weeks ago. If you're trying to price this out, Matt Mowers, previously senior advisor to the State Department, Huawei, in my short-term window in August, there are two key developments with regards to Huawei ahead of the Chinese coming here in September for trade talks that could also pose significant risk of the U.S.-China trade talks. Would you agree? And what are those risks regarding Huawei, China's state-backed uh, telecommunications firm? Well, I think, you know, the president has created another point of leverage in these discussions now. Um, you look at what he's, uh, what he's put out there on Huawei, it's, um, uh, you know, he, he's now actually held off on the um, deadline in which those were going to be enacted, um, in part because of these discussions that are going to be ongoing in September. Um, so I think the president's actually played this pretty smart. He's, he realizes he's got a lot of different clubs in the bag that he can play on, uh, on this field when he's trying to, you know, get to a China trade deal, and he's actually playing all of them right now. I, I don't think the markets think the president is playing this smart. And if they, if they did, they wouldn't have crashed the way they did today. I mean, I, I think that there are a couple things in play right now. I mean, Kev. you can't you gotta be careful with the word crash. Just, sorry. sorry. Okay. Like, forgot, this is Bloomberg. Is, That's an irresponsible <laughs> term like, there. <laughs> sorry, not to like. <laughs> forgot this wasn't MSNBC or CNN. Um, look, a, a couple things. The president's core thesis for his reelect is the economy. And so I think we also ha- can't lose sight of of. Everything that's happening with China has to be contextualized through that prism. And so the fact that, that he's announced new tariffs that may take effect on September 1, may not, and some analysts are projecting could cost American households another $650 or so a year in spending. Once, once these tariffs in this trade war really start hitting uh, consumers in, in their pocketbooks and which is, is meaningful, I think the president has a much harder road in terms of his leverage points with China. So a very narrow timeline, I think, to really extract the kind of concessions he wants before he's in 2020 reelect politics. I just want to just uh, just uh, carefully note, checking the Bloomberg terminal, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ erased losses after the bond market scare earlier today. Clearly, well, you. Dave, I'm not, trying to, you. I'm not trying to correct you, but it's been a volatile to Dave's it's point. It's been very volatile. It's been a volatile. Typical of the chicken little talking points. No, no, I'm not. I am not. Listen, I just, you know, when you, I've got to, you know, Dave always makes great points. I'll revise my remarks. The, the volatility Volat- of go, the market Dave. reflects a lack of certainty in what's yes. going to happen All next. Right. That's that? the point. So the only point I'll make is I remember having this exact same conversation earlier this year when another round of tariffs were put into effect. The market took a hit for a week, and that started slowly correct, recorrecting itself to actually go, you know, increase to new historic highs. Um, so, look, let's look at this in context of the overall scope. I mean, it's a volatile week, but, uh, you know, we've seen this play out a few times now in the past couple of years. Um, I would expect it will follow a similar course. I think it's been interesting to see just the pressure that this puts on Jay Powell, the Fed chairman. I'm like, Jay, I don't know him personally, but like Chairman Powell, like, I mean, the the, the pressure that this is going to put on him with the rate, with the rate cuts, it's, uh, it's been definitely fascinating. And the last point that I'll make on this, if you're trying to like sort through all of this, you got the, the China's Huawei developments uh, in 
in this month. And then when, when Congress comes back and Speaker Pelosi and Leader McConnell, when they've got a huddle and try to get their calendar for USMCA passage, I, there's a lot of anticipation on both sides of the aisle that President Trump might, I don't know, if he doesn't threaten to raise tariffs on Mexico in September, that he would also potentially say, hey, I'm going to try to force Speaker Pelosi's hand and get out of NAFTA to trigger this conversation as a whole. Coming up, more policy and politics with Matt Mowers and Dave Brown. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guest with me for the hour, Matt Mowers, former senior advisor to the White House's State Department and and now president of Matt Mowers LLC. Uh, Dave Brown is a Democratic strategist. He's worked on Capitol Hill for Senator Patty Murray. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. I was struck by how the conversation pertaining to mass shootings has now turned to uh, getting the private sector involved, quite quite frankly. Uh, The White House, I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal by my colleagues Ben Brody and Justin Sink, the White House has invited tech companies to discuss violent extremism. The White House wants to discuss violent online extremism with tech companies this week following a string of deadly shootings. Staff will lead the meeting with unnamed internet and technology companies on Friday, according to White House spokesman Judd Deere in a statement. Uh, I'm struck by this, Matt. I think it's, I think there's a lot, I, I think there's a lot of questions that Democrats and Republicans have about companies, notably Facebook, uh, about what their responses are. Well, we do actually, the U.S. government does a lot of work with um, tech companies on this in the global sphere. I remember about three months after joining the administration uh, in 2017 when I was at the State Department, uh, Rex Tillerson led a meeting of the coalition to defeat ISIS. We had foreign ministers from nearly 150 countries across the world at the State Department for a full day of meetings about defeating violent extremism and um, defeating ISIS in particular. And there was a highlighted topic that he wanted to specifically discuss with all the foreign ministers that hadn't been uh, approached enough. And that was actually working with tech companies to try to root out violent extremism and gateways and pathways in which uh, extremist groups uh, recruit 
young, mostly young people in a lot of these countries, in a lot of economically disadvantaged countries, and recruit them into extremist groups. I think it's smart now that we look to do similar types of pro programs here domestically, obviously in a way that has to be cognizant of you know, rights of free speech, um, but also is allowing law enforcement to address root causes of these issues. I mean, I think, I think there's a really interesting conversation that's, that's beginning to, to finally happen, both what the points Matt's raised and then also more broadly, whether law enforcement has the right kinds of tools it needs to really combat the type of, of mass gun violence that we're seeing, and, and namely whether law enforcement can, can identify these acts as domestic terrorism and then whether they have the tools to treat those acts as domestic terrorism. Obviously, there's a difference between the types of, of tools they have available to them for international acts of international terrorism versus domestic. But also, too, I just want to note, as part of the broader discussion about uh, extremism and how it relates to gun violence, you know, it's, it's pretty appalling to me, and, and I'll use that word, it's appalling to me that we can't, that we still in this country can't research gun violence through the CDC, that there's still effectively a ban uh, through a writer in Congress preventing federal dollars being used by the Center for Disease Control to research the root causes of gun violence. I think we need to change that, too. And that's going to go a long way to the points Matt's making. Yeah, Dave's making the point of infrastructure, essentially. The lines, and this is a common debate in Washington, D.C. I mean, now we're talking about the severity of rent gun massacres in the United States and this, this cancer in, in America that it that this has become. But in terms of the infrastructure, I mean this I think we when we talk about big tech and it's you know, well they kept this this terrorist video up for twelve minutes or they did this or they did this, but no one's actually like again, it's it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about oversimplifying an issue like universal background checks with big tech, for example, to Dave's point, how do you create an infrastructure where Police departments around the country can can work with the federal government, can work with the FBI, can work with Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook uh, to have a type of system or infrastructure to flag instantaneously individuals who are utilizing American companies for crime. We do it for things that are not on the Internet. We do it for, for example, flying for transportation, ground transportation, and obviously uh, a host of other different things. So I just don't think the technology, unfortunately, has caught up as quick with these types of things. Well, I think it's actually the laws have not kept up with technology. Um, and so for the past couple of years here in D.C., we've uh, seen big tech being treated as uh, we've been faulting them for everything they've done wrong and being part of the problem. And now I think the real question is, can they be part of a solution? Right. I think this is going to change the nature of this conversation in a lot of ways to making them, because it's, it's going to have to be working with the tech companies to do this. This is where these folks are living on the chat rooms, on messenger groups, you know, where, you know, whether it's WhatsApp groups. I mean, there are a number of different ways in which folks are communicating and being recruited. I mean, we wouldn't let ideology. these people on, on, on television channels. So why do we, I mean, so there has to be some type of infrastructure. Place. And I think you're seeing, I do think you're seeing, to point the kind of engagement from tech that frankly I think is long overdue. I think they should have been smarter about how they've engaged with Washington DC and policymakers. I think they finally get that they have to engage in a meaningful way and you're seeing the kind of oversight and sustained scrutiny of tech, tech both in the House Judiciary Committee, their series of hearings, as well as now both the Federal uh, Trade Commission and the DOJ in terms of the investigations they've launched into broader tech and I think as part of that you're going to see these types of issues really percolating up. Tomorrow, just to plug tomorrow, we're going to have Noah Theron on. He's the president of the uh, the Internet Association. Not, or I apologize. I apologize. He is uh, the he's the president 
of the communications. He's the president of communications for the Internet Association. He's going to come on uh, and talk about big tech's role in all of this. Coming up, more policy and politics with our panel. And I just want to flag this I just as a disclaimer. Michael Bloomberg, owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News, founded and helps fund Every Town for Gun Safety, a nonprofit that advocates for universal background checks and other gun violence prevention measures. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guest with me here in studio, Matt Mowers, former Senior White House Advisor to the State Department, President now of Matt Mowers, LLC. Dave Brown is a Democratic strategist, former advisor to Senator Patty Murray. Did you guys get caught in that monsoon? Just missed it. Oh, it you have like a Bloomberg umbrella. I did. Matt Mowers has up to the bureau with a Bloomberg umbrella. <laughs> I am on thinking, brand today. I don't even have a Bloomberg I umbrella. A, I want a Bloomberg umbrella. Okay, it's a really and, nice and umbrella. the thing about like, the umbrella, sure. like nice umbrella was the last time I was up in New York on assignment outside of Trump Tower. It's like pouring rain, and I have an umbrella, and I open it up, and it's embroidered <laughs> with the Bloomberg terminal. I'm not kidding. The Bloomberg terminal is embroidered. In the Bloomberg umbrella, it's a, it's a great umbrella. I kind of I, want to steal Matt Mowers's Bloomberg umbrella. I'll probably leave it here by accident anyway. You can I appreciate have it, that. There you I go. appreciate that. Okay, uh, what's on your the 2020 race, Dave Brown? The Quinnipiac poll that came out in well the, pronounced. And hey, yeah. I do my research here. Wow, you know, yeah. it's not my first rodeo. Evidently, I uh, the Quinnipiac <laughs> poll uh, that came out shows that the top tier candidates are still Joe Biden. Is Joe Biden Teflon Don? I mean, he's been taking all of these hits, hit after hit after hit, uh, but it, nothing's really nothing's really phasing him. I'm really struck to see Senator Elizabeth Warren's uh, ascent, slow and steady ascent to the top tier candidacy, and and Bernie Sanders. I mean, you imagine Bernie and Warren voters teaming up it could get interesting. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there are a couple of key takeaways. One, the fact that that Vice President Biden is staying at the top of a poll suggests he's got some staying power. And I think that was an open question for a lot of primary voters who were looking at him and wondering if, if he's, he's passed his moment. But, you know, what I think it reinforces the, the overriding uh, focus of Democratic primary voters on electability. And until Warren or Sanders or somebody else in the field can solve for and answer the question of electability, I think Biden, Biden will stay there. But I actually am really interested to see what happens with Warren and Sanders, because if you think about the last debate, you had John Delaney. You were, yeah, because you had John Delaney kind of serving as that foil for much of the debate, and you staved off Warren and Sanders really having to engage with each other. And they are kind of fighting for the same, the same cohort of voters among but the But see, primary. this is where I like just being – from Delco, having covered the Wait, Trump you're, campaign. You're from Delco? Yes. But, oh. but seriously, all kidding aside, like this issue of electability, Matt Mowers, I'm going to ask you to put on a Democrat hat for a <laughs> second. This issue of electability, I mean, Bernie Sanders beat Hillary Clinton in Michigan in the primary. I mean, where yeah. – so the, and, the electability argument, I mean, every – primary always says they want to vote for the most electable person in the primary, right? If you look at 2016, Republican voters said that they wanted to support the most electable candidate, and then they supported the person who at that point was polling the worst against Hillary Clinton. 
Um, so I think voter, primary voters always say they want that. But at the end of the day, what's going to motivate voters in the Democratic Party is those who have their heartstrings tugged. And that's going to be by Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and the rest of the I mean, Matt's, Bernie Matt's, Sanders pulling heartstrings. Matt's not wrong with, with Senator Warren. I mean, one of the things I've really been struck by consistently in how she's positioned her candidacy, she's able to talk about po- really complicated policy and make it in a, in a pretty accessible and emotionally compelling way, in part because she talks about it through the prism of her values and her sort of lived experiences. That's one of the reasons why I think a lot of folks saw Kamala Harris during the first time having a breakout moment because she was able to find her voice and talk about policies through values. So, you know, if Elizabeth Warren keeps doing what she's doing, I, I think she's going to be a really, really powerful contender. And if, if she's on the ticket, I won't be surprised. They're all headed to Iowa for the Iowa State Fair. I'm like, I miss Zombie Burger more than – if you've never been to Iowa, Des Moines, they've got this place called Zombie Burger. They literally fry – they fry everything in Iowa, my kind of place. They fry um, – <laughs> Uh, mac and cheese, and they turn it into the bun for a burger. Delicious. Fun fact, Senator Cory Booker, this is my pivot to Booker, uh, is he, he Booker's a vegan. Those. That's right. Wait, I didn't know that. He's vegan. Really? Yeah, and, vegan. When I interviewed him drink. about and I said, oh, you're yeah. from Jersey. I'm from oh. outside of Philly. Like, good cheesesteaks. He's like, they've got great vegan cheesesteaks. And I said, I wouldn't know. But question to you, sir, is how are people like Senator Booker doing, better overworked, some of these mid-tier candidates, can they sustain whether they can sustain is really going to be driven by by both future debate performances, obviously, whether they can make that cutoff and stay sort of in the public media eye and in turn generate money. But look, the, the real test is, is going to be Iowa and New Hampshire, obviously. But somebody like Booker, yes. I think I think Cory Booker is, is definitely still part of the year, albeit perhaps at the very bottom part of that top is tier. Beto? Beto uh, I just, I just am not seeing it. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I want to like, I, I like Beto personally, but I haven't seen that kind of, kind of animating call to action articulated in a way. Why is he running for president? Cory Booker can articulate that. Elizabeth Warren can articulate that. Bernie Sanders can articulate that. Joe Biden can. Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris. But with Beto, Andrew I, I Yang, Miriam Williamson. <laughs> right. You know who's interesting though is, is Castro. Williamson. I think, is. I think There's Castro. Before, I think. Castro, Castro's, Castro impressed me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, here's, here's the thing. I think Joe Biden's going to continue to have trouble in this primary. You know, he's still po- – you, you talked about a national poll that just came out. Um, he's Quinnipiac. Still, but he's also top and he's still doing well. Barely, though, in Iowa and New Hampshire. In fact, All right, I'm sick of the digits. 2020 fodder. All right, what's on your radar? We've <laughs> we got like got two minutes. Twenty On policy, uh, that, what, what's on your radar? You were talking to me in the break about Venezuela. Yeah, so, you know, uh, this past week, the Treasury Department uh, issued a wider set of sanctions against Venezuela. Uh, it's now up there with the same types of sanctions that are um, impressed upon North Korea and Cuba. Um, the real question remains to be seen is whether this changes the trajectory of this longstanding back and forth between uh, the United States and Maduro regime, which is kind of clinging on to a few last breaths of power uh, and have not recognized the, the constitutional right of Juan Guaido, who is the legitimate leader of the country right now. Dave, what's on your radar? Yeah, back home in the States, the, the budget deal that the Speaker oh. and the President obviously lifting caps, uh, sequestration solved for for the next couple of years, taking us through the election. I'll be curious to see how that plays out from an appropriations perspective. You talk about a crowded uh, a crowded calendar in the fall. We still have to deal with appropriations. I want to I wanna correct something I said earlier because uh, Noah called me from the Internet Association. I called him in the break uh, because tomorrow we are we are having the president of the Internet Association come on. Uh, uh, Mr. Beckerman has served 12 years. Michael Beckerman is president and CEO of the Internet Association. He joins me tomorrow. Uh, he was previously served as the deputy staff director and chief policy advisor to the chairman of the Energy Committee, uh, and the Internet Association represents a host of different uh, big tech and small tech 
companies as well. That's going to be a fascinating interview tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My thanks to Matt Mowers and to Dave Brown. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all. All of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a Stiefel Financial Advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.